Hello and welcome. This is a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. We continue our podcast about the war which Russia started against Ukraine. This series is brought to you by Internews Ukraine and Ukraine Crisis Media Center, two Ukrainian media NGOs. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm chief editor of ukraineworld.org. We're making this podcast with Tetiana Harkova, who is in charge of international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Hello, Tani. Hello. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash ukraineworld. So today we are going to, to talk about what does it mean to live under Russian occupation. We are visiting uh, regular villages around Kiev um, and uh, talking to people, bringing them humanitarian aid, talking to people, trying to hear their stories. Mm -hmm. What was going on primarily in March? We visited recently, uh, today we visited a village called Bobrik in Kiev Oblast. Last week we visited villages called uh, Ploske, Velika Dimerka and others. So what are your impressions, maybe the major impressions? Um, let's situate geographically these villages because um, a lot of people know about Bucha, Irping, Ostomil. So these are popular names and our audience, we are absolutely sure you know about and we also recorded podcasts about Bucha many times. But what we are trying to do now, we are trying to, to visit villages who are which are situated on the other side of Kiev, on the eastern side of Kiev. So they were Russian troops approaching Kiev, but not from the north, not from Belarusian border, but from the Russian border, from Sumy. And imagine they were lucky enough to cross uh, many hundreds of kilometers before they arrived in Kiev, oblast in Kiev region, in the beginning of March. And they were stopped right, uh, right before Brovary. So we were able to see with our own eyes that they were stopped, I don't know exactly, maybe three, four kilometers from Brovary. At least we can uh, see a lot of destruction, maybe artillery destruction, in three, four kilometers from the place we live. And we were able to see at 10 kilometers from our town, Brovary, the presence of Russian tanks. So it means it, it was another direction of attack and they were successfully stopped in the end of uh, March. So, and, and and they left Kyiv region at the same time as troops left from Bucha and Derpin. This is an important thing to understand. And these villages we are talking here today, they are not largely discussed in um, in, in podcasts, in media, because they are not very much known and because there were no such huge number of human victims. Because, for example, if you compare what was happening in Bucha, and we were talking about hundreds and even more than thousands of uh, people killed from, from different, uh, different ways, um, in these villages we are talking about several dozens of people killed. In each of them. Uh? In each of the villages. In, the, in each of them, yeah. So uh, in if in Bucha, we are talking today about uh, 400 something in Bucha itself and more than 1,000 in Bucha's region. So if you, but you cannot compare. Bucha is 50,000 um, people, population. And if we talk about, I don't know, about Vilika Dimirka, it's about maybe 10,000, if Ploske, it's about 300, uh, 3,000, 3, 3, sorry, 
And if you talk about Bobrik, it's two two thousand something. So they are small villages. But and in our region, in Brovary region, we have twenty seven, if I'm not mistaken, uh, villages who le- l- l- lived under occupation. So this is huge. And what are um, so your question was about impressions. So uh, maybe the main impression when you enter the the area. It, that this is it is also about quite massive destruction so what you see even now once one month later you see this massive destruction you see houses in ruins you see sometimes steel russian tanks and we do remember these videos recorded in march uh, in beginning of april where there a lot of tanks close to brovary dozens of tanks because there were major battles there there are no more there, these tanks. But major destruction, not only houses, but all kind of fences, all kind of, I don't know, shops, all kind of uh, um, stations, all kind of railway. Also, we, you cross, when you travel in this, um, in this region, you, you regularly cross railway. And each time we were able to see that this railway crossed, there was massive destruction around. Maybe they were trying to destroy railway for, for supplies or whatever. So these are um, places where people really need support. And um, it's important to say that we were there with a kind of humanitarian mission because we contacted um, uh, administration in Brovary and we suggested that we, we have a car and we can transport some kind of humanitarian aid. And we were quite surprised that people, I mean, they really need help. And they were able to collect quite a lot of humanitarian aid, but they have no people to transport it directly to to families, to villages. So what we were trying to do already twice, and we do hope to continue, we were transporting these uh, humanitarian packages. And last week we were even able to to transport it to each house and to talk to people. Uh, So the life under occupation. What... Uh, what is important to note is that uh, the war is is not about like in in these places it's not about like total destruction. It doesn't mean that if in a certain villages uh, the Russian the Russians were staying, if there was an artillery fire, it doesn't mean that everything is destroyed. Uh, sure. And uh, then the question is, what is destroyed? What is not destroyed? And this is really a matter of chance. So the war is really a matter of chance. Some some people were lucky. For example, even in, in Bucha, we have our friends. Uh, and uh, when you see these horrible images, you have the impression that Bucha is totally destroyed. It is not. There are majority of buildings are there. And some of the buildings are not touched in any way by, by, by the shelling. Uh, the same impression we have in these villages, although there are some you know, quarters, some some districts of, of these villages where everything is destroyed. You, you, you rightly mentioned uh, very often they are close to the railway or they are close to the highway because on this highway, beautiful highway which was uh, renovated just before the war uh, and this is another paradoxical story and then tanks were, were going, the Russian tanks and there was a huge tank battle. So this is the first conclusion that it is it is like a Russian roulette. So you can you can be you, you can live in a village and uh, 
the house of your neighbor is destroyed and your neighbor is killed, but you are you are not, for example, and uh, or vice versa. Yeah. Right? and let's not tr- not not forget that um, about the time the Russian troops uh, occupied these villages, because here we are talking about three weeks of occupation. In Bucha, Irpin Yostomil, we are talking about four weeks of destruction of occupation. So. Um, But we can easily imagine what is happening if we talk about two months of occupation, like like in the east, so and with a real severe battles. So um, uh, this is not the Russian roulette. This is just a different uh, different uh, situation because uh, in many s- towns and cities in the east. Mm, I don't know up to ninety percent of buildings, like for example in Popasno and Rubizne. Uh, authorities are talking about up to 90% of uh, buildings touched and many of them destroyed and mean they uh, there is no possibility for renovation after the war so it means you have to destroy it and to rebuild something new in its place so it, this is different so but i was impressed really personally uh, i was trying to imagine this just in a short period of two three weeks they were able to destroy so many things And when you visit these villages, you see people who who, met, who who spend their lives and maybe the lives of several generations to construct these houses because there are a lot of beautiful houses and they put a lot of a lot of work, a lot of love into places they live. And they, then Russian army comes and destroys it in in, in only a couple of weeks. This is something incredible. You can just cannot imagine that. Many m- m- even sometimes we we heard this story that uh, a, a shell entered the house in the evening and destroyed like the quarter of the house or half of the house and then the family went down to the basement and then the shell you know went into the basement in the first floor so it's like in a matter of uh, in a matter of of days the second thing is that how ukrainian because th- these are the villages near kiev uh people are not very rich but not very poor Uh, in in these villages, uh, there are rich houses. There are really peasant houses in which people are really these industrious Ukrainian people who are building for years, for decades, their their, their houses with their own hands. This is, this is very important to remember. Uh, it's not that they like inherited this house from from grandmothers and grandfathers. Most probably, they are, they have been building these houses themselves, and uh, for for thirty years, for forty years, and they lost it like in in in, in just a moment. But uh, these villages, for example, what shocked Russian soldiers, uh, some of them, because we understand that. Russian soldiers who who came here and and with with whom the Ukrainians the Ukrainian peasants we talked to had contact, many of them are coming from very poor regions in Russia. For example, the Buryats. This is this this has become a meme. The Buryats, which have nothing to do with Russian ethnicity or Slavic ethnicity, which have But nothing. They have Russian passports. Yes, which have nothing to do with Orthodoxy because they are Buddhists, and. Uh, Often, quite often, they are, they are poor, uh, and uh, they are really shocked with several facts. For example, that in Ukrainian villages there is there are pavements and there is asphalt, 
right? How to say it? I don't know. The, in English, so real road. Th so the roads are there, right? The paved paved roads uh, in 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 those villages where they come from in Russia. There is there are no not such so, such a thing. Another surprise for them is that there are toilets in the houses and the bathrooms and the showers, and this is a really cultural shock for many of them. Because we heard lots of about these stories in the media, and of course in the media you can doubt well whether it, this is true or not, whether it's also kind of propaganda exaggeration from Ukrainian side as well. But now we talk to real people who were under the occupation today, and uh, they confirm this. And um, it's also important to underline the difference between Bucha. Irpinia and Gostomil and the region we were visiting because if in Bucha, Irpinia and Gostomil there were mainly what we call middle class uh, pe people were living uh, I mean uh, in private houses often, quite often but uh, it, it, were, it was a kind of private houses without uh, land I don't know, this is not this was not about agriculture and about not about your own land. It was about you, uh, for example, you work in Kiev, and daily you travel from Bucha or Irpin to Kiev, and then you travel back, or to school, whatever. So, and you live outside of the city of the capital, but your main activity is in the capital. So, what was different here in in in, in villages close to Brovary? There are people, real peasants. I mean, in a way, they are people living. This, we are not talking about middle class. We are talking about very simple people. And even them, they were really astonished by this attitude of Russians towards these roads and towards toilets. And these are not, I don't know, bourgeois people. They were normal Ukrainian peasants living correctly. I mean, uh, not very poor, not very rich, but they were still um, astonished to see such an attitude to to what uh, to their lives and um, some people were saying that uh, russian officers even were uh, interested interviewed and and just show me how how do you live so and they were impressed they were really impressed by the way uh, ukrainians live so we can uh, understand that this difference is a kind of a clash of civilization and the attitudes to, to what is a housing what is uh, i don't know what is your property is quite different because uh, people showed us pictures some recorded videos from for example the first day of uh, after the occupation uh, and we were also shocked to see how what kind of mess the soldiers were creating inside these houses. I mean, they were living themselves in these houses. So it was in their own interest to just to live correctly, but they were making such a kind of mess. Everything was dirty, you know, just breaking things for nothing. They were sometimes shooting at the ceiling, whatever. So, and uh, we have an impression that this is a kind of a common picture because people were talking about that in Bucha and also in these villages. So it's a kind of a common behavior. So their attitude towards, I don't know, towards beauty, towards comfort in your own house. So it was, we do understand it was about war, but there is no reason, I don't know, to create such a such a horrible mess in, in the house. They, they created disorder even in the situations where 
there is no need. So the, yeah, no the, need, the, the things it? were just move uh, lying on the floor. The the, the furniture was uh, like uh, sometimes destroyed. Uh, like you know, like kids when parents are not at home. Yeah, exactly. Something like exactly. that. But le- uh, but worse than kids because there are lots of stories. Then uh, the the Russian soldiers are uh, going to toilets. How to say it? Going well, uh, mm, doing what what people do in toilets, but not in toilets, mm-hmm. but in the apartments, in 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 uh, inside the rooms. I- inside the rooms, and uh, for for example, the the story we've heard today is that uh, we were in the village council, which is the the body which governs this village of two thousand five hundred people, and the Russians. Or some of the Russians were stay, uh, stationed there. This is a small house, two-floor house, uh, right? Uh, quite small, and they were really doing the toilets inside this. Uh, in the, a big room. In, inside yeah. the big room of the of the of the building. So not not outside. Oh, okay, you can say okay. In in the real toilets, there the, there could be no electricity, no running water. So you you better not go there. But but. This is a village. You can go outside. You can you can go to the field or whatever. Maybe they were afraid of shelling, something like that. Yeah, maybe. But uh, this story we hear day after day, and this is really repeating story. Mm-hmm. So people are defecating. Uh, I don't know how it's called uh, yeah. correctly, right? Um, uh, in in inside the inside the rooms, inside the apartments. And this is not house. an invention, really. We've had this story in Vucha as well, and also here. And this uh, this is kind of surprising, because they were living themselves inside. So we can imagine this is not so so very much comfortable for them. So it's something which is shocking in a way. And I imagine people coming back after the occupation and finding the uh, finding their houses in such a state. You know, this is not uh, uh, this. There is no reason for such a behavior, but still, it's there. This the the one more thing is that the looting, right? Looting. Uh, m- many many apartments have been robbed. Mm-hmm. And that's what we hear in the interceptions of uh, of what d- done by by the Ukrainians interceptions when there are phone calls between Russian soldiers, and we hear that also confirmed by the witnesses that uh, of course the the shops have been looted, robbed, but also the houses. People entered the houses. The Russian soldiers entered the houses. Search for gold, search for some precious metals, search for money, of course. Sometimes shoot at at um, at some at some things just without any reason. Probably under under being under alcohol or maybe under drugs. We don't know. By the way, also there are testimonies that they have been asking for for drugs for marijuana or for some other drugs. So most probably they. They they wanted to use it while while staying here. Another thing to understand why they were doing that is that most of people in in most of places we visited and we we talked to people, they left their homes before or in the first stage when Russian Russians arrived. So if we talk about Bucha, as we already discussed it, from fifty thousand of people only. I don't know, th- up from three to three thousand were in place when Russians were 
there. If we talk about these villages we visited today or last week, from, for example, a village of 3,000 people, only several hundred were in place. So the vast majority of people left, so the houses were empty. So they were closed, they were empty, and in a way it was a kind of invitation for Russian soldiers to enter, so they, they felt free, really, to enter and to search for what they wanted, in fact. so, And they were able, I we imagine to choose the apartment, to choose the house to live and maybe better places, better houses were for officers and I just know normal houses were for 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 other soldiers. So and they really felt free to 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 search for what they wanted, to do whatever they wanted and uh, just to to be as it as at home. Yes, and they looted a lot. So the the, the memes that we're discussing that there they have been massively looting the washing machines and uh, putting on their well washing machine uh, we did it several times in our lives to, to 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 transport with your hands a washing machine you have to be a really strong man it's like 40 kilograms 50 kilograms right so the, they were really uh, looting them and putting their on on their tanks whatever but also the lesser things the the, the the less important things now there is a different version why they were doing so now the people are discussing that in 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 Russian weapons now they're using some details from washing machines, some electronic details. I don't know which exactly chips, something like that, and that's why they were trying to steal all the washing washing machines from the very beginning. But what was reporting from the very beginning of the war that they already were doing that. So maybe it was it is it's linked to sanctions. I don't know to, to all this technology that they don't have this technology for their weapons so they're trying to use those from washing machines i don't know if it is a kind of invention maybe 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 this but uh, all all there are all other things like people uh, that they are looting clothes they are looting uh, you know some 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 things the the, the computers the, the laptops the um, etc so this is also the science Another thing which is important is that today uh, people in Bobrik were telling us that many of those soldiers are very young. Actually, very young. They just called me, okay, they were kids, as if they were kids in the in the uniform. And these kids, of course, imagine a, a person in in 20-year guy, 20, 21-year guy, who didn't didn't see the world, didn't see life yet. Or some of them, who were 24, 25, they already were doing the war since they were 19 in Donbass. So imagine those people disoriented, of course, with with little understanding of what their values are. They're coming to a foreign country without real reason, without real understanding what they are doing here. And here, interesting, there, there are conversations between these Ukrainian peasants and, and them, like these peasants are asking, what the hell are you doing here? And uh, either there is no answer, so these soldiers just say, we don't understand, we don't know, we were just sent by our leadership. Or there is a typical answer by the Russian propaganda that we came here to liberate you from Nazism and we will take Kiev in, in two days. So we've heard that they were telling that the commanders were were coming to them and saying, look, in this direction there is Kiev and there are fascists who are living there, so our goal is to go there. And by the way, 
some of them planned to stay here. So they were thinking, okay, we will come here, we will take Ukraine in two days, and we'll stay here in this, in this. We will exterminate the Nazis, or they will leave, and we will live in beautiful Kiev apartments. That that they were kind of a this kind of an plan. intellectual intellectual. Um, level of uh, these people. Um, yes, indeed, the people were talking a lot about these young soldiers and what was uh, official information from the very beginning of the war that a lot of people were kontraktniki. Kontraktniki, it means that the people who, who are just doing their military service, so they are 18 or maybe 19 years old only. Um, so quite young. No, 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 you mean um, uh, not contractniki, prisoniki. Uh, srochniki. Srochniki. I'm, I'm sorry, srochniki. So conscripted, the conscripted. Yeah, people who are uh, making... So it was, they were young people. And another thing that um, people were talking about, uh, telling us these stories, that there were different nationalities. So Russians, also uh, Buryats, a lot of Buryats. They were talking also about Chechens, maybe most present in Bucha, Irpin, and also about uh, people from Belarus. Uh, so a kind of mixture of different different people. And Belarusians, not the members of the Belarusian army, but Belarusians who decided to make a contact with the Russian army. Yeah, Why? Sure. Because Russians are paying better. So we have these ethnic Belarusians, probably with Belarusian passports, who joined the Russian army. So this is so a kind of mixture of, of different people from different cultures, from different attitudes, um and uh, but maybe the same goal but what you already mentioned that not most most of them were just unaware of what they are exactly doing here they were unable to respond to a simple question what the, what the fuck you are doing here what what is your goal here because when they were starting to tell about to talk about liberation, people were mocking at them, saying, "What kind of liberation are you talking about? We live very well here. We don't need you. We don't need any kind of liberation." And they had simply no arguments. I mean, if you talk about peasants and about all these simple people in villages, they were not afraid, at least some of them, to just to ask openly. These kids, as they call them, this, what are you doing here? And they got no clear, clear, a clear answer. And the, another thing is that there were many different groups, many different nationalities, and many different groups in many different villages, quite close. I don't know, five or ten kilometers one from another, and they were afraid one of each of other. In fact, so people reported that they were afraid of, for example, another troop staying in a different. Village. So there is a mistrust between mistrust, different yeah. uh, garrisons, or how to call it, different parts. Uh, divisions. Uh, not divisions, divisions, maybe, but different, yeah, different groups of Russian soldiers. That that's interesting. But coming back to this question that you mentioned, this we talked uh, today with the with the head of the Bobrik village, uh, who is a man who is called Mikola Grigorovich, who is yeah, you know, a typical. Ukrainian. I would say Ukrainian peasant, and he stayed. He didn't leave his village, and uh, he was risking his life. Actually, he he does not present um, uh, presenting it, but we know the stories when the heads of the villages were killed and uh, were and tortured. 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 Uh, in in Moshun, for example, this is um, a very famous story. But also in 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 some other villages as well, and. Um, 
And he was indeed under threat because initially they just took him, closed his eyes uh, and uh, were leading him somewhere and talking between the Russian soldiers, were talking between themselves. Okay, why do, why do we need to bother with him? Let's just shoot him. And he was hearing all that, so I think this is a this was a tactics. A and I imagine his wife, who left in ha- in the house, uh, she saw him living with Russians, with Russian soldiers, and she was without use for many hours. Yes, and uh, the important thing is that um, is that uh, he he didn't leave here, he, as he presents it to us. That my wife told me that I will never go. Uh, I will, I will, uh, I will not go without you. And he told uh, that I will not go without my village. Uh, so they stayed, and uh, and he even kind of tried to negotiate with them on the evacuation corridors. And when people died, he was organizing the burials, the burials because people died of of shelling, etc. So the commander, the Russian commander, entered his house, entered his uh, his territory, and saw three cars. So this is the head of this village has, and we have seen them uh, quite a, a a nice Volkswagen minivan. And then an, another car, which is a, a car of the village, and then the car of his daughter. So people are living okay. This is not very rich village. People are having cars. People are having tractors. We also hear the news that some of the Russian soldiers were surprised that the Ukrainians have tractors because they were asking, okay, where where are your horses? And this man, he was a, uh, he worked with tractors for all his life before being elected. And another thing that Russians didn't understand is that this head of the village, it is a kind of elected position. So and he made a joke that they called me everything. They called me governor. I don't know, maybe president as well. They they just didn't understand what kind of position is it. So head of the village that he's a simple tractor. He's I don't know how. Uh, he he was working his land, but then he was elected the head of the village. So he's he has more responsibilities, more possibilities as well. But he's somebody from the village. And in Ukrainian we call it starosta, starosta. meaning meaning that this is an old name. And which is coming from this idea of being old, wise, and respected. So yeah, this is also a, a symbol of Ukrainian decentralized society right now, where people are electing their head, their starosta, and where people are electing their mayors, and where everything is kind of this very autonomous, and these villages can be very mistrustful to any kind of central government, you know. And I was personally very much impressed by his response to our questions, why didn't you leave the village? He said that my people uh, would never forgive me if I left them alone here. He said, I couldn't, uh, I, I couldn't look at their eyes. Ah, something in, like that. Yeah. So, And he was talking about, not about thousands, but about hundreds of people who stayed. Because as we explained before, most of people left. And he organized corridors. He stayed to organi- organize corridors for people who wanted to leave. I mean, uh, I don't know, women with kids or a- anybody. But he stayed and he had to, ne- he, he did this uh, duty job to negotiate with Russians. And he did it professionally in a way uh, because he was also negotiating for bread 
he mentioned that, for example, for food coming into village, so he came to this Russian officer saying, "Look, we need a corridor because we, there is a car who will bring, uh, which will bring bread into our village." And uh, officer responded, "Okay, we'll organize that." By the way, he mentioned that he had this kind of kind of. Uh, Uh, contact with this Kinjal, what was his name, kind of, I don't know, what kind of officer was commander, it? Yes, commander, yes, Russian commander. Like commander. And, um, and for example, for Burles as well, uh, he was free to move in, in the village, for example, when he knew that somebody is dead. And he had to go there and to help to, to, to transport this body to the cemetery or whatever. He was asking, uh, he, um, so he was free to move into the village. So this kind an, of di- an difficult... An important also element that what we understood in Bucha and what we understood here in Bobrik. In Bobrik, in Bucha, as we mentioned, 412, I think, people died, at least, at least according to preliminary estimations, 400 people. In Bobrik, 10 people died, and most of them out of uh our, because shelling. of the shelling six six I out think, of ten yeah, yes so we don't really have many people who, who who were killed by bullets in bucha most of the people were killed by bullets there were tortures there were rapes everything horrible and and the corpse were living on the streets uh we didn't have this in, in this in these villages One of the explanations why is that here, and the starosta was telling us the stories, that commanders were most more or less okay, and they were even Russian commanders, and they were e- even trying to persecute those soldiers who were looting houses. And that leads me to a conclusion that it really it is really uneven in the Russian army, and it really depends on the commander and on a discipline. So Bucha massacre could have been explained uh, either by real orders who are coming from the from the uh, commanders. You have to exterminate all the brutes. You have to torture them. You have this is one of the explanation, the legitimate one. Another explanation is that everything just went out of order. The commanders were the same bastards and uh, soldiers, or they didn't control their soldiers. And etc. I think the two explanations can can. Be... I would I would suggest another argument, maybe on the contrary. Look, if you compare Bucha with fifty thousand people, and uh, Bobrik with two thousand people, so it's twenty five times higher population in in Bucha. Is if you made it just a calculation, so ten you you should. Um, multiplicate these ten victims by twenty-five times, you would have two hundred fifty victims. Yes, but comparable. my argument, yeah, my argument is that in Bucha, most people were killed uh, by bullets, by specific shooting, or by torture. You know, that's the difference. Not by shelling occasional yeah, when you're in it, your yeah. apartment and uh, or, or in in your house. This is very important because. The the big part of this war is artillery war, but then next you you are asking, okay, if you are face to face, Russian soldier and 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 a, and a peasant or a dweller, what's happening? 
I either they're trying to accommodate, they're saying, okay, come down, we won't, we won't do anything bad for you. If you do not, you know, protest, if you, if you, if you are quiet, we don't do anything. This is one, one of the tactics. Another tactics is that they're really saying, okay, you are all Nazi and we will kill you, uh, everybody. So we see different tactics, we see different realities. I would argue that maybe there is no very much, very much differences because another difference is in Bucha they stayed for the whole month and they entered Bucha in the end of February. When these other troops arrived in the Brovary region, it was already 10th March, something like that, 8, 9, 10th March, so it's different, different schedule, you know. They um, were not uh, arriving with this kind of intense combats. They were no not living these losses. I I mean military losses at least from what was reported in this particular village. So I don't really think it's kind of a huge I don't know difference between the attitudes. I I think it's Russian roulette. So you just they may be better commanders and maybe maybe pure chance uh, a small village, not a lot of military inside. Uh, and no lot of conflicts because also this head of the village made everything possible. I mean, he was not collaborating. For example, how he was explained. For example, the second day, Russians come up and say, look, there is no electricity, you have to repair the electricity. So he checks and he says, he replied that, look, there is no possibility to repair anything because there is no electricity in the whole region. So our supplies just will not function. And Russian response is that look, we need electricity, so you do that. Otherwise, I I will sh I will shoot at your uh, at your leg. And the response of this man is okay. You can shoot at me, but electricity will be not not here, even if you do that. So he was trying to just to 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 show that their argument, this this violence, is, was senseless. Because even if you kill people, there will be no electricity. Another example, the next the third day, they arrived asking to help them to construct a bridge because there was a river and they needed a bridge. And the response of the head was, I cannot construct a bridge because I don't have, um, uh, I don't know what... Um, the equipment for equipment. the... Equipment. Yeah. Uh, and the, the response was, okay, I will shoot at you and you'll... And and he replies. So even if you sh shoot at me, you will not have this. Uh, I will not be able to 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 to. Yeah, it will it. not appear magic. So these kind of arguments that everything can be got by violence, you know, he was just making these their arguments in a quite an intelligent way. So, um, but he kept contact. He was not collaborating, but he kept contact for his own uh, objectives to help people, to bring bread, to to make evacuation. For example, there was a story of an um, African, if I'm not mistaken, African living in the village married to a Ukrainian woman. African-Ukrainian. Ukrainian. Living for... Not even speaking Ukrainian, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they lived, used to live in Germany, but then they moved here. A woman from this village, this man, we don't know exactly his uh, his citizenship. Maybe he was German, but from... Uh, and their kids. And Russians, Russian soldiers, they wounded this, this man. And he needed surgery. 
So these head of the village had to go to Russians and ask them to organize, or to let him organize a kind of humanitarian corridor for, for him to be able to transport them to Brovary. Some 50, 15 kilometers, maybe 20 kilometers to Brovary to the hospital. And they agreed. So by this, I don't know, the smallest uh, objectives, he was trying to survive and to, to make survive his... Um, And this story also testifies this question. It is sometimes discussed all over the world about the Ukrainian racism or whatever. Of course, I mean, racism is everywhere and there are different people. But this case, this particular case shows us two things. First, in a quite not very rich Ukrainian village, an African-Ukrainian was living with his wife and, and children. With their kids. And, and children, and she brought him from Germany, and they were okay. That means that, well, their life was okay, and the, the, the people in the village, our hypothesis is, uh, were having a normal relations with them, with them. And the second is, is that when this man is wounded, the starosta, maybe by risking also his life, organizes his evacuation and asks Russian soldiers to guarantee that he... He's, uh, he's moved to the hospital to Brovaryo. This is this is an interesting example. Another thing is that we again we saw a smashed car, uh, car uh, which is which is just turned into into the rubbish of, of, of steel. We have seen lots of them in in Bucha in Hostomel. Uh, in in our episode about which is called Bucha stories, we we have been telling you about this, the so-called car cemeteries. We do have confirmation in this region, and and this is also a kind of a re repetitive thing: is that civilian cars were shelled and and shot, and uh, there there are cases that a family is, is trying to leave to escape, and then the Russian tanks or Ru Russians army is approaching. And they just uh, shell the car, and every everybody's dead, or or some are dead, some are wounded. But a story that we've heard that a, a person from another village, and if I'm not mistaken, also a starosta, was going to this Bobrik on his car, and then he, he there is he this Russian tanks. tanks which started just shelling at his car. He jumped jumped off the car and uh, fell on the ground. And then this tank just went over the car. Yeah. And this is something I don't understand. Uh, okay, you're, you're shelling the civilians, thinking that probably they are Nazis or they are whatever else, even, even, even if there are women and kids in the car. But then you are in the tank. And then this person just moved away and, and you're in the tank. And, you are, and we, ha we see these repetitive uh, stories like that. Why would you drive over the car. You can say, okay, in this part of the uh, road, the road was actually very narrow. So maybe this tank was not I mean, having any any opportunity to kind of a pass by. But we have seen this these uh, examples on the on the on the on the wide roads. Even in Kiev, remember in the first days when the Russian tanks were was on Obolon, when You know, there is no Russian tank army. There is a sole alone tank and then driving over the car with the person inside the car. I mean, what is it? 
How you explain it? Uh, even now, I've seen just a video maybe 10 minutes ago, maybe one hour ago, about Mariupol. And it's happening now in this destroyed, ruined uh, city. Uh, so what you see on this video, you see a tank and some voices and somebody is filming. And there is some abandoned cars which are still uh, more or less okay. And this Russian tank is moving in the uh, nearby and he, it's smashing these cars and uh, also cutting trees, I don't know, destroying trees around. So they're, they're just making it's fun out of the uh, destruction. It's making fun out of destruction, indeed. So for them it's funny. So look, I am in a tank, so I'm very strong. I can destroy everything on my on my way, regardless what is, what is it exactly. So it could be civilians, cars, uh, trees, uh, playgrounds, and this guy is close to, to the pl playground. I don't know, a normal playground in a normal, close to a normal building in Mariupol. So, and they're doing that just for fun. Maybe it's because they're kind of teenagers. I don't know. Maybe, yes, maybe. But this is kind of a culture of violence, which which is really shocking. We knew that uh, there is this cult of violence in, in Russia, but we didn't didn't know that it is it is so so horrible. This is so real. I mean, this is not about ideas. This is not about art. This is not about I don't know, something abstract. It's about absolutely real behaviors when they are destroying just to destroy, and when they, for example, shouting at the ceiling in the house they are living inside. So it is about destruction for destruction. Yes, so this is, um, I think we will end on this and uh, we will tell you more stories out of our trips, which we hope to do regularly. So we will try to balance the analysis and uh, and stories. And uh, you also noticed, I, we hope that we try to give a lot of background about Ukrainian history and culture. We have a, sp a separate cycle about this. This was a Explaining Ukraine podcast. This series is brought to you by Internews Ukraine and Ukraine Crisis Media Center. This series about the war, the channel Harkova from Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Myself, Volodymyr Yermolenko, Chief Editor of UkraineWorld.org. You can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash UkraineWorld. Listen to our podcasts at SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, YouTube anywhere else and uh, uh, stay with us support us and stand with you